1: Welcome to the Road to Wire Fantasy Football Podcast. Derek Van Riper here with Nick Whalen. If you're listening to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher or some other awesome app I don't know about where you can rate and review the podcast, preferably in a positive manner, we'd appreciate it if you could take the time to do that. We've got some news items to cover. Nothing earth-shattering, nothing like the Friday episode uh, that I did with Mario. I mean, like everything happened on Friday. Nothing's really happened since of, of significance. And then we're going to talk wide receiver ADPs. From the NFFC, talk about players going too high, too low, maybe some others of interest as well. Uh, Nick, before we we dive in today, uh, we got an icebreaker sort of topic. And my birthday is coming up in early September. Yours is coming up a little bit sooner. And the question that becomes more difficult to answer, I feel like, as I get older I mean, I'm really old, I'm 31 now. I don't know what I want for my birthday. Like, my mom still asks every year, as though I'm 10 years old hey, what do you want for your birthday? And I just think, we can just go out to dinner together. Like, that's fine. You know, like, that's, that's all I really want is to hang out with my family on my birthday, which is a weird, weird thing to want. But she always wants me to say, I'd like a new pair of shoes, or I want a Aaron Rodgers jersey, something like that. Like, it's always something like that that she wants to, to buy for a birthday occasion. So I got to ask, what's on your birthday list this year?
3: You know, that's a good question. I don't really put together a physical list. Um, you know, back in the day in, in my birthday prime, um, so, you know, middle school, late elementary school, I used to like put together an actual list on Microsoft Word with photos, prices, links. Wow! You know, I was very specific. I was like, hey, if you're going to get me a gift, which, you know, my family, uh, you know, was more than happy to do. I was like, I want to make sure I'm going to make this count. So, um, you know, it was just a good way to make sure that I, that I was getting what I wanted. Now I'm kind of out of that phase as most people, you know, grow out of once they get out of 5th or 6th grade. But yeah, it's tough. You know, I don't I think my mom is probably pretty similar to yours in that she very much thinks that I'm interested in what I was interested in like 5, 6 years ago. And she just like has a very big problem just giving me money or going out to dinner or something like that. Like she needs to give me a physical gift that I can wear or use uh and she'll see me wear or use. The embarrassing thing about My parents, with regards to gifts, my mother, my dad doesn't care
1: about this, but my mom will take a picture of us as we open gifts, either on Christmas morning or at our birthdays, and then they get plastered on Facebook. And I'm like, this is embarrassing. She still does this? Still does this (laughs) to to me and my siblings who are in their 20s. It's like, it's not stopping anytime Mm -hmm. soon. And she insists upon having a photo taken when she opens a gift from one of us probably to just to like remember later, like what we thought was cool back in the day, I hope, but I, I just, I feel so awkward in this situation every time. It, it's funny to me because I, I think back your list when you were 14 versus when you were, well you're about to be what 24 hasn't changed at all like you probably have had tracy mcgrady jersey of some kind some kind of tracy mcgrady apparel yep. on the list each and every year it's probably why you use microsoft word you've got a template or some kind of macro setup where it always has a mcgrady item featured
3: that's right that's right i do remember i believe it was my sixth grade you know post sixth grade birthday um so i don't what does that make me 12, something 11 like 12 maybe um, I, I received three separate tracy mcgrady jerseys and one birthday oh man unbelievable best birthday, birthday ever I, yeah I, I was on cloud nine obviously for for good reason so yeah i mean i'm not i'm not asking for any t-mac related items um you know got my eye on a few things but I, i'm basically mcgrady'd out at this point no no you're not Ellen robinson jersey maybe on your list i love football jerseys but they're not very wearable that's the thing you know i i'm not you know, so I'm like a men's medium when it comes to jerseys, which fits me fine, you know, throughout the the torso, but then the sleeves still drape down the over sleeves my are elbows. Huge. It's just yeah. not a good look.
1: Yeah. Well, you could cut the sleeves off. You could pull a Chris Sale and modify the jersey to your liking.
3: Uh, that was more of a scissors hands thing. This. Yeah, that was
1: that's was probably a that's little intense. Blow, man. Little intense. All right. Well, our top news items today, uh this is a funny one to begin. The Broncos want to see Paxton Lynch take the reins this season. Is that the exact wording they used? That's the exact wording somebody used when they wrote the RotoWire update. Sure. And I thought, okay, like they've been talking about Mark Sanchez and Trevor Simeon battling for the job, and Paxton Lynch is just the other guy for some reason, like the awkward third wheel in the, in the quarterback competition. I mean, it makes sense, and Sanchez and I, I, I didn't even think Trevor Simeon was in the NFL for one. Right,
3: this came out of nowhere. Right, like wasn't it wasn't the the kind of goal of drafting Paxton Lynch to ease him into this role eventually?
1: Yeah, it was to let him simmer right. for a year and then hopefully he'd be uh, tenderized to the liking of the Broncos for his second NFL season. He could take over. After a year of the Sanchez, and and the Trevor Simeon thing just seemed like some kind of elaborate ruse to make us all laugh, but I don't think it worked. I think we believed them because Peyton Manning was so bad last year that I think we've come to expect the Broncos to tolerate pretty much anything at quarterback, and they think they can win despite the quarterback position.
3: And I think they can, though, right? I mean, they did lose a little bit. There's, there's always a the post-Super Bowl attrition um, that that we see pretty much every year. And for them, it came mostly on the defensive side of the ball. But like you said, they really couldn't have gotten worse quarterback play for what 12 of their 16 regular season games. And and obviously Manning was, you know, formidable. I guess is probably the, the right word in the playoffs. And then was able to to get them to a Super Bowl title. So we shouldn't maybe trash him too much. But yeah, you know, I, I don't see Mark Sanchez really being any worse than than Peyton Manning was
1: no I I don't really think that's possible I don't don't think it is I mean if Mark Sanchez played all season with like a torn shoulder capsule then maybe he he could be worse than Manning was last year but Manning was awful last season and the Broncos won the Super Bowl despite him Uh, so we'll see what happens with Paxton Lynch I imagine if a, a change happens it's a month into the season at the earliest and perhaps even later. Maybe kind of like what we saw with Brock Osweiler, who wasn't a rookie last year, but it it took a while uh, for the Broncos to go ahead and and make that adjustment. And even that took a manning injury. Uh, Tyler Eifert going through the rehab for ankle surgery. He's apparently on schedule. So looks like week one is is in play for Tyler Eifert. Uh, If he were completely healthy, I think I'd see a, a top five tight end right there, but I have my doubts as far as, how exactly he might be utilized to begin the season. Certainly with the turnover in the Bengals receiving core, uh, you look at Marvin Jones being gone. They didn't really do a lot to replace him. Brandon LaFell taking his spot. I think it's kind of a downgrade in that spot. Eifert and A.J. Green are the two main guys in that passing game. So, you know, beyond Green getting his 160 plus targets this year, there's plenty to go around for Tyler Eifert, and perhaps in the red zone in particular, he had 16 red zone targets in 13 games last year. We could see Tyler Eifert push 20 targets in close.
3: No, I think I think we certainly could, and this is a guy who only had 72 targets last season. I think that's a number uh, that he could probably improve upon, and, and will obviously improve upon if he plays a full 16 games after uh, playing in only 13 last year. The question for me is the touchdowns. So 13 touchdowns in 13 games um, You know, on only 52 catches. That's basically one every four catches. Uh, I mean, it, that rate to me doesn't seem quite sustainable.
1: Yeah, that rate's going to probably come down. I uh, had some games, though, where matchup wise, it seemed like the Bengals just knew they were in a good spot. I mean, 12 targets against the Raiders, two TDs, nine for 104 in the opener last year. Uh, Seattle had all sorts of difficulty covering tight ends. The Bengals exploited that in week five of last season. Eight for 90, two TDs, 12 targets in that game. Had a three-touchdown game against the Browns in week eight. He missed their second meeting in week 12. So it just looks like this is a situation where the coaching staff probably wants to get him the ball, maybe even more than last year. Certainly made it a point in a lot of matchups last year. If they could do that every single week, if they could push 10 to 12 targets his way somehow, then he could maybe be the best tight end on the board besides Gronk. I mean, that's the type of... Physical Upside that he has, but I'm a little worried about the ankle. If he's going through training camp, he's on the field nearly every day doing pretty much full workouts from day one. Those concerns will kind of go away, but I'm definitely watching him pretty closely here in the next few weeks. Uh, The other player I'm keeping an eye on also coming back from an ankle injury is Ladarius Green. You have to like his opportunity in Pittsburgh taking over for Heath Miller. It's a Pittsburgh offense where you don't really know what exactly they're going to do with targets behind Antonio Brown because Martavis Bryant is suspended for the season. And Green was always playing second fiddle to Antonio Gates in San Diego, so this could be his best opportunity yet as an NFL player. Injuries are part of the reason why he didn't get more opportunities, even with Gates there in San Diego. I'm curious, at his current price especially, as a guy probably going outside the top 10 at his position, is Ladarius Green a viable wait on a tight end option for you in one in one tight end leagues?
3: Yeah, I, I think so. I think, you know, certainly there are plenty of guys going ahead of him. And there's a reason, you know, he's kind of a borderline top 10 guy right now. But, you know, I, I wouldn't say he's a punt play at tight end. But if you're going to go, you know, if you're paying up and trying to grab two elite receivers, and all of a sudden, you know, you find yourself in, you know, around five or six, you don't have a tight end. Yeah, I think he's certainly. The type of guy you want to target, high upside wise. I mean, twenty six years old. This isn't a guy who's you know joining a a a strong Pittsburgh team at the end of his career or anything like this. I I think they certainly see him uh, as a key weapon for them next season. Like you said, especially uh, with Martavis Bryant out. Obviously, they don't offer the same skill set by any means. You know, I don't think you can just take out Martavis Bryant's targets and say, oh, these will some of these will go to to Ladarius Green. But I mean, this is a Pittsburgh team that really. Yeah, I mean Heath Miller obviously was one of the better tight ends, if not the best tight end that they that they've ever had. But I don't know that he was, especially in recent years, as dynamic of a of a downfield guy as Ladarius Green could be for them
1: no he, he was really just one of those players that when he was healthy Ben Rothsberger trusted him right. to convert their downs and I mean, in certain situations and close uh, but you look at Ladarius Green he ran a four, four, five, forty 40 a few years back if He's six, the same six type of and that's the thing I mean totally I, think, I think
3: the you know the floor I, I guess with a guy um who just completely blanking on his name now we just talked about oh, Miller Heath Miller yeah the floor with Heath Miller I think was so high just because of the rapport and um, you know and how much like you said Ben Roethlisberger trusted him but I think the upside with Green is considerably higher than it really ever was with Heath Miller
1: Yeah, you look at Green and it's easy to see him taking the leap to the Kelsey Eifert range a year from now right those guys are just inside the top five in terms of tight end ADP I think both Kelsey and Eifert have that sort of breakaway speed. Kelsey in particular. You get Kelsey in, op- in the open field, he can outrun safeties. I mean, that's the amazing thing about him. And if Green still has anything resembling that 4-4-5 speed that he had a few years ago when he was drafted, that could make him a really nice weapon in this Pittsburgh offense. and One that should have plenty of volume, too. We've right. seen it with Todd Haley. They're one of the more consistent passing attacks in the league.
3: Right, and that that's what I think. Makes me like him the most, and it's kind of the same way I feel about Martellus Bennett switching teams um, and going to a good, situ- you know, from a, a relatively poor situation in Chicago to you know one of the top five or six probably offensive situations in New England. And I think you can say the same thing, you know, San Diego. Uh, the offense wasn't going to be as bad this coming years as, as Chicago's probably is, but when you're going into a system like pittsburgh when you have you know a a regime like that everything's been in place for as long uh, as it has in pittsburgh i think it's going to be a pretty seamless transition
1: two more news items to pass along amir abdullah expected to be ready for the start of training camp he's coming back from surgery to repair a torn labrum certainly a much more problematic injury if amir abdullah pitched for the tigers as opposed to being the running back for the lions he doesn't pitch for the tigers right Deep. Might be a good source of relief for that bullpen. That their, their bullpen's disappointing again. It's kind of an annual thing with the Tigers. Uh, 4.2 yards per carry from Amir Abdullah last year as a rookie. Only three carries over 20 yards and 143 attempts. So, not quite the explosiveness that we were expecting from him. Coming out of the University of Nebraska, he's 5'9", 200 pounds, maybe not ideally suited to handle the every down back role. I think we're going to see some Stephen Ridley in close kind of playing the Joyke Bell role, as Mario and I called it on Friday. I think that makes a lot of sense. And certainly Theo Riddick's going to get his share of, of options or opportunities rather as a pass catcher coming out of that Lions backfield. So with Abdullah, I could see a pretty big step forward in terms of the workload. I think the projection on the site might be a little low at 169 carries. I could see him getting to the low 200. Hundreds, but the best case scenario for me with Amir Abdullah is like four and a half yards per carry, two hundred carries, and then like five or six TDs. In part because he breaks off a few long runs, I think his his role is not really optimized for him to be more than a low end RB two.
3: No, I agree. I certainly this is not a guy I'm targeting as an RB one by any means, and I wouldn't expect too much from him uh, as an RB two. I'm with you that I, I think the carry load will be a little bit higher than we're projecting, but I don't. I mean can they really trust him from a ball security perspective i mean that's been something that plagued him at nebraska It plagued him last season as well a couple key fumbles in key situations um i mean ridley and riddick I, I think are both viable backs these are guys who you know held roles for for decent teams in the past i, I don't look at this as a situation where it's Abdullah and then a bunch of nobody's behind him so yeah i i think you know mid-tier rb2 is probably his ceiling
1: yeah, I would agree with that. Five fumbles last year, lost two of them on those 143 carries, too. So definitely uh, some flaws as you look at Amir, at Amir Abdullah. But they don't have a featured back on the depth chart behind him. They just have those role players mm-hmm. in uh, in Ridley and, uh, in, of course, the Riddick. But one other news item to share, uh, Greg Jennings announced Monday morning he will retire from the NFL. Age 32, uh, a guy whose production really started to fall off, of course, last year in Miami. Really crowded depth chart there his last season in Green Bay in 2012 he was banged up only played eight games 5.9 yards per target maybe it was the beginning of the decline but I think it was more health related than talent related because as we saw during his first four years in the league averaged over nine yards per target and was a pretty big part of that Packers offense
3: yeah and I mean back in 2012 that was his final year with Green Bay there was kind of that controversy in the offseason of you know he, he had you know they had won the Super Bowl two years prior. He was obviously such a big part of that team, and such just kind of a big part of of what Green Bay had been about. Kind of one of the signature players, I guess, uh, of the post Favre era, along with Aaron Rodgers. And and I think some Green Bay fans and and Jennings himself was was upset that you know Green Bay didn't want to pay up for him. But I think in retrospect that was the right move
1: yeah it was based on the personnel they had at the time of course Jennings spent two years in Minnesota caught 127 passes for about 1546 yards mental
3: math again unbelievable
1: yeah it's really good uh 10 TDs during that time yards per target number dropped closer to about eight during those two years so it, it made a big difference quarterback play in Minnesota versus working with Favre and, and Rodgers in Green Bay uh significantly altered his production so Hopefully we uh, we hear from Greg Jennings in some capacity. Maybe a guy we'll see doing some like Packer preseason work, or maybe getting into a booth at some point down the road. Uh, talking wide receiver ADPs though for the bulk of this episode, and uh, we're gonna start off with some players that might be a little bit too high at their current prices. Just just Google NFFC ADP if you want to find the report. Easy to uh, track down using the Google. And the first player that jumped out to you as far as being overpriced is Allen Robinson. He's going firmly inside the first round and inside the top 10 overall. His ADP is 8.9. Puts him ahead of Des Bryant. Puts him ahead of Jordy Nelson. Coming off a torn ACL, I think that's kind of where a tear break is anyway between Bryant and Nelson. How much of a reach do you think Allen Robinson is? Are we talking like a half round? Are we talking Robinson versus Nelson at 16 overall is actually a legitimate toss-up? Or do you chip away a little more at that ADP and look at Robinson as someone who should go perhaps just outside of the top ten overall at his position?
3: I think he's right around number ten, and I don't want to harp too much on this. We've to- I think we talked about Allen Robinson on the pod last week, and uh, I've been pretty vocal that I think he's a little bit overrated, and and as a Jags guy, it's tough for me to stomach, but. I mean, he's going six right now among receivers. Brown, Jones, Beckham, Hopkins, Green—all ahead of him. I think that's all fair. I would put Des Bryant ahead of him. Um, I'm not super high on Jordy Nelson personally, and and the injury isn't necessarily a huge reason for that. He, I mean, he's getting up there in age. I, I don't know if it's realistic to assume that he's going to step back in and this Green Bay offense all of a sudden you know zaps back to where it was in 2013 and 2014. Um, I think I would take Mike Evans over Allen Robinson um amari cooper i think i think he's more in that tier the amari cooper elshon jeffrey um demarius thomas maybe sammy watkins type of tier um to me i i just think last season everything kind of came together for Allen robinson and the catch total was low so that's something that can maybe go up but i don't see him topping the yardage total i certainly don't see him topping 14 touchdowns and and the biggest thing is just the you know the deep threat that he was and and six more catches of 20-plus yards than anyone else in the league. That just doesn't seem sustainable to me. So as much as I like Allen Robinson as a player, as much as I like you know what the Jaguars are, are doing offensively, um, I, I just think he's, he's kind of an obvious sell-high candidate.
1: Well, if you look at him and you look at DeAndre Hopkins, who's going inside the top five right now, Hopkins' volume last year was crazy. 192 targets. He turned that into 111 catches, over 1,500 yards, 11 TDs. Not surprisingly, with that much volume and with poor quarterback play in Houston, his yards per target number dipped from 9.5 in 2014 to 7.9 a year ago. And this is a guy that was at 8.8 yards per target as a rookie. I mean, he had one fewer catch of 20 or more yards last year, despite the fact that he caught the ball 35 more times. So, I could see Robinson maybe going up even a bit in volume, but then just going down in efficiency, mm-hmm. and maybe it all sort of levels out. But I, I think yeah. Dez makes sense over Allen Robinson. Uh, I feel like Hopkins is, is being overdrafted, too. Like I would take A.J. Green over DeAndre Hopkins. I think Hopkins versus Robinson's a toss-up, but I think I'd put them both just behind Des Bryant and just ahead of Jordy Nelson. So I, I don't think the top of this list is necessarily way off, but the other name that I, I keep thinking about as far as maybe being someone who's being underdrafted nearby is Mike Evans I mean Mike Evans can just take over a game with that size that speed that he has which he's not a burner but he's fast for how big he is and he's one of those players too that I think last year wasn't on the same page with James Winston uh, we've talked about the Bucks' offense being one that should be significantly better this year overall and I wouldn't be surprised at all if part of Jameis Winston's improvement in year two is just being more comfortable with Mike Evans and, and Evans being much more dominant from a TD standpoint than he was last season
3: right if Mike Evans didn't have a fluky three TD season I think he's right up in the discussion you know with Hopkins and Robinson and, and Dez in the top five and we're seeing him you know if you look at this ADP data he's out of the top 10 he's behind Brandon Cooks he's behind Keenan Allen he's behind Nelson um, I think you have to look at that touchdown total as a fluke.
1: I look at Brandon Cooks. I know these are full-point PPR leagues, and that's going to drive the value of someone like Brandon Cooks. If he catches 100 balls this year, he can be worth uh, where he's going right now. Same ADP, essentially, as Nelson, uh, just inside the top 10, number 9 at this point. 18 of his 84 catches last year went for 20 or more yards. He did have 9 touchdowns, too, which for a guy at 5'10", 189, is a pretty good return. The thing I'm a little concerned about is that last season, the Saints threw in the direction of Brandon Cook's only 10 times in the red zone. So you really have a hard time seeing him do better than the nine TDs from a year ago. You're basically
3: relying on him catching and running into the end zone. Sure.
1: And he he has that top end sort of speed to where he can can do it. But I, I just, I don't know if, short of getting the extreme volume, which maybe happens, I don't see him being able to return uh, fair value at that price. So mm-hmm. I think he's being a little overdrafted by comparison. I'd rather have Keenan Allen than Brandon Cooks this year, because I think with the Chargers, mm-hmm. Allen's volume is going to be safe. I mean, the pace he was on last year before getting hurt was just ridiculous. It really was.
3: Uh, is there any is there any debate to you between Brown and Julio Jones at one? Or is, I mean, Brown's going a full... Uh, pick ahead of Julio Jones, which doesn't sound like much, but when we're talking top of drafts, it kind of is. Um, I mean, is there really any case for Julio Jones? I am I'm I think it's Brown. I think this is as, as close to a consensus as there's been, but uh, Julio Jones, more targets last season, more yards, higher average, more yards after the catch.
1: Yeah, I think with Jones, you could see him maybe spiking up to like 12 TDs and doing something yeah. close to what the he did TD last year. the numbers were
3: ridiculously low for him. That's the thing. One TD every, every 17 catches. Allen Robinson, one TD every 5.7 catches.
1: I realize it's probably happened before, but I can't remember off the top of my head seeing a receiver get 200-plus targets and have a yards-per-target number over 9. Like Usually yeah. with that much volume, even for a player as talented as Julio Jones, that comes down to the low to mid-8s in the right. best-case scenario. So that might be... The case for it, but in in both of these instances, we talked about Ladarius Green being a nice get for the Steelers. I don't like the secondary wide receivers on either of these depth charts. I mean, you could see both of these players pretty easily getting back to that 200 target range. Brown was at 193 last year. I think year. Brown gets
3: there easily, no matter what. I mean, i even without Martavis brian I think Pittsburgh's fine. You know, I mean, Marcus Wheaton is decent, and he's probably not your ideal number two. Um, but yeah, I think some the combination of Sammy Coates, Hayward Bay, and Marcus Wheaton can, those three combined can like, you know, somehow give you a formidable two, three combo. How does Julio not have like a 15
1: TD season on the ledger? How is that What possible? is this high? Like 10? 10. He's like 10 in 2012. Right? I mean... He had six in 2014, in fifteen insane. games, and then eight last year. So
3: last 31 games, 14 TDs. You get targeted 200 plus times, you get into the end zone eight times. That's weird. It's not on him. I don't. I I have no bad words to say about Julio Jones, but there's that's ridiculous.
1: There's a lot of a lot of the same arguments people can make about Matthew Stafford. I think can be applied to Matt Ryan, though. I mean,
3: if you imagine Matt Ryan in that offense without Julio Jones it'd be ugly it would be very ugly i mean and you're right they didn't really improve much at all i think muhammad sanu is an upgrade over roddy white who was atrocious last year as the, basically their number two i'm not i'm not sold on justin hardy um i don't know if anyone really should be at this point point. and if your fourth receiver is devin hester I, I don't love that either
1: the next uh, overpriced receiver we see is is Brandon Marshall. He's 12th right now at the position. ADP is 19. uh, Kind of wedged in the same tier as Keenan Allen, Mike Evans, Amari Cooper, and Elshon Jeffrey. Of the Marshall-Cooper-Jeffrey trio, I've got Elshon Jeffrey at the top. I I like him the most of that bunch. I think he could be a target monster. I think he could be a beast inside the red zone, too. I mean, Zach Miller is fine at tight end, but there's a lot in that injury history and Jeffrey's going to get his. So I look at Jeffrey as someone that I would bump up a couple spots. Marshall, I would drop down at least to where Jarvis Landry is. I think Marshall versus Landry is, is good. I mean, we're not talking about a huge reach, but when we're this early in the draft, I think the key is to not pass up someone that has a lot more ceiling than the guy you're taking in the name of just getting steady volume. And we still don't know with the Jets, are, are they going to bring back Ryan Fitzpatrick very late here this summer? Or is it going to be Geno Smith? I think if it's if it's the latter... I could see Marshall taking a step back.
3: Yeah, I think certainly that's, that's one huge, huge concern is the quarterback situation. But even if they do bring back Ryan Fitzpatrick, I think you have to kind of apply the same logic uh, as we were talking about with Allen Robinson and, and kind of sell high on, on both of these guys. I mean, Ryan Fitzpatrick, 31 passing touchdowns last season, a career high, um, you know, at at that age in his 11th season, Brandon Marshall, career high, 14 touchdowns at age 31. Um, You know, more than doubling his yardage total from the year before and obviously there, there, there comes the change in team and, and scheme and everything like that. but it's just hard to see him you know getting back over the 170s in terms of targets and you know 109 catches, it, it seemed like everything broke right for Brandon Marshall and that Jets passing attack. And, and even if they they bring back the same group, you know Marshall, Decker, Fitzpatrick, I just don't see it going that well again.
1: Yeah, it, it it just looks like that's as good as it can be. I think at 32, you're worried about the injuries maybe starting to right. take their toll. I mean, he's just one of those players that I, I don't see another level there. The TD rate does seem fluky high for Fitzpatrick and Marshall certainly benefited from that. But the I guess the counter argument, though, if you like Brandon Marshall, and again, I assume you are banking on Ryan Fitzpatrick returning if this is the case, they don't have a lot of other guys they throw to. It's really just Marshall and Decker, and that's pretty much it. They'll dump the ball off to Matt Forte a lot this year, but I don't think Forte being there significantly alters the target volume. It's just that that per-game production can't really get any better. If you scale back the TDs. You factor in the possibility of injuries. The projection we have on the site is kind of what I expect. 88 catches, 1,200 yards, 9 TDs. Still a very good player, but one that might have difficulty outproducing Cooper, Jeffrey, and perhaps even a Randall Cobb type player. I mean, Randall Cobb's season a year ago, I think, is is one that people are going to look at and, and probably downgrade him more than they should. Health was a big factor. He was hurt at the very beginning of the year, had that shoulder injury. You have to wonder if that ever fully healed. I mean, you talk about uh, the separated shoulder. It's the kind of thing where you get hit throughout the season. Yeah. It kind of aggravates an injury like that course Jordy Nelson not being there changed the way teams could defend Cobb they have more of a threat at tight end perhaps with Jared Cook I, mean, I look at Cobb as a guy that could be right in line with Brandon Marshall volume wise and you can get Cobb 10 picks later
3: yeah I and mean, when we talked about some guys you want to sell high on I think Cobb's a guy you can probably buy low on right now his ADP among receivers number 19 so right around the Sammy Watkins range the the T.Y. Hilton range the Julian Edelman range does that seem about right to you yeah,
1: I, I mean, I think so, but I I will end up pushing Randall Cobb up a couple spots compared to that. I like Cobb more than Jarvis Landry, for example. I like him a little more than Demarius Thomas, but Demarius Thomas, I mean, talk about a guy that de- dealt with a bad quarterback situation a year ago. I know he, he draws opposing teams top corners, and that sometimes opens things up more for Emmanuel Sanders on the other side. I mean, how do you not take Demarius Thomas over Brandon Marshall at this point, 105 catches a year ago. Even when he struggled at times with drops, 177 targets, six TDs. His lowest output since 2011. He had three consecutive seasons where he caught at least 10. We talked about the Denver quarterback situation. Maybe it's not any better, but it can't get worse. If if that's the floor for Demarius Thomas, that's a crazy high floor.
3: To me, Demarius Thomas isn't quite the physical freak talent as a lot of these guys are that we've talked about, and I think yeah you know, he was he was blessed to be in that situation when Manning was still Manning you know from what 2012 through 2014 and you know that's when we saw him really really emerge you know first two years in the league um you know he was impressive but he he was certainly not the Demarius Thomas that we know today Peyton Manning comes in he jumps up you know 94 catches 92 catches 111 catches uh, and even 105 last year but I'm with you I think if he was able to put up that kind of production uh, with the quarterback situation that Denver was was coping with last season, I think if they just have some semblance of continuity at quarterback, and what you you know, I, I think the situation they want to avoid is switching between two or three quarterbacks, you know, on a week to week basis. I think that's when you can, you know, kind of start to mess up. Any kind of continuity that you might build with your receiving core. Um, So, you know, even if they have Mark Sanchez for 16 games and he plays average football, I I think we can see Demarius Thomas replicate these numbers with relative ease.
1: And there's that possibility that if Sanchez plays at a higher level than right. Manning of, of 2015, which is a good possibility, definitely possible. Or if one of the, the younger quarterbacks steps up and can play at a higher level, that bumps the efficiency numbers back up. Uh, but yeah, certainly Demarius Thomas, from a volume standpoint, a player you have to be pretty confident in just based on uh, the way he has he's been able to produce, even when the quarterback played dipped a year ago. Uh, you look at Sammy Watkins, if he were going to be healthy for 16 games he'd go at least 10 picks earlier that's the big question I mean to me if healthy if I, if I knew I were getting 16 games foot wasn't going to be a problem Watkins for me would be ranked above Brandon Cooks
3: yeah yeah I think the upside is there I mean it w- it wouldn't be surprising if he played 16 games this year had a huge year and all of a sudden we're talking about him in the same breath as you know Hopkins does Robinson next year right he just has to prove that he can do it nobody doubts that the talent is there but just just the the recurring injuries i guess lower body injuries to to a receiver is about as concerning as it gets
1: now some other possibly overpriced receivers i mean larry fitzgerald i know it's a full point ppr league that he's on the fringe of the top 25 at the position to me seems like a little bit of a reach Uh, you just
3: don't want to be the guy who gets burned you know and thinking this is the year that he finally falls off and then you know goes out and does what he did last year
1: I'm willing to let someone else beat me in that scenario, and that's it, it's in part because Michael Floyd was hurt at the beginning of last year. He's gone about five picks later. Floyd's got that combination of size and speed where he is just ridiculous to defend, and I think Fitzgerald helps Floyd and then he draws some coverage away. But the Cardinals have so many different weapons, it makes it hard to rely on any of those guys as more than a low end wide receiver too. Even though you like the offense probably mm-hmm. as a whole, uh, you go a little further down. I think Emmanuel Sanders is priced even more fairly than he is Demarius Thomas like he the, every year like the floor is high with him too and it goes back to what we said about the Jets you really just have two guys maybe a tight end emerges so even if this team doesn't throw it that often when they do you, you kind of know it's going to one of Thomas or Sanders
3: yeah I'm, I'm very high on Emmanuel Sanders that's a guy I always try to get every single year and you know like you said he always seems to be five to ten picks you know projected uh lower than I believe he should um but getting back to Fitzgerald is he a hall of famer by the way I always love talking you know speculative hall of fame careers uh I mean does he have to do anything else he's going to be 33 right before the season starts does he have to have you know one more big year
1: off the cuff I don't think so I'm kind of looking at the numbers now just to see if there's anything 7,000 yard seasons
3: one or two seasons where he fell you know about 50 yards short of that career touchdowns what happened to him i mean the quarterback
1: play was awful but 2012 to 2014 that that window works against him a
3: little bit yeah the numbers were there
1: i wonder if he needs one more thousand yard season to get over the hump on that i
3: I, I would winning the super bowl had they been able to pull that off against pittsburgh whatever year that was now i think would have been a big help man he's he's really
1: close if he's not in he's right on the cusp so he's he's in consideration Uh, You look a little further down at the wide receiver ADP report. Kevin White is a player that you think might be a little high right now. 36th among wide receivers. Just gives you an idea of how early receivers are being taken. I mean, they're being pushed up aggressively. The overall ADP is 71.2, and he's the 36th receiver being taken. So half of the first 72 picks have been wide receivers in drafts early this year. A completely lost rookie season due to injury for Kevin White. But again, a bears team that i don 't think is going to be very good defensively, Jay Cutler should sling it as much as most of the higher end attempts guys in the league on a week to week basis and beyond Elshon jeffrey i don 't really like a lot of the other weapons besides Kevin White. Uh, do you just think there 's not a lot of room for profit where he 's being priced right now, or why do you think he's being priced up
3: too high i we just don 't know anything about him. this guy hasn 't played an NFL game, and you know maybe this could work both ways you know maybe we get to week eight and he 's dominating as the you know the other the counterpart to alshon jeffrey and i look stupid for saying this but i'm not willing to to pass up you know known commodities like a a Stephon diggs you know i don't love that minnesota offense by any means but he's a a solid number one receiver uh, for that team even deshaun jackson guy like travis benjamin or even Corey coleman you know if kevin white is basically a rookie after missing all of last season i think to me i would i would go with Corey coleman over him he's going about 10 picks later um that's a guy that you know is stepping in as a number 1 receiver and again a bad Cleveland offense but this is going to be a bad Chicago offense and and Kevin White doesn't have any shot at all of being a wide receiver number 1. Yeah, the interesting thing about Kevin
1: White is that he he wasn't really great at West Virginia until his senior year but he ran yeah. that 43540. That's the uh, thing is
3: he he was a risky prospect before the injury. Yeah. That's it, what kind of concerns me.
1: Everything lines up pretty favorably. I think the part of the reason why I don't think it's too high, it almost feels like there's a pretty bad drop off after these top 30 or so receivers, and even compared to a couple guys ahead of him, I like Kevin White more than Tyler Lockett. I think Lockett's explosive and can make a lot of big plays. I just don't think the volume for Tyler Lockett will be anywhere close to the targets Kevin White can see. I think Kevin White over Michael Crabtree would make some sense. Crabtree's going about a half round earlier right now. So compared to where he's going, the other receivers around him, I think he's okay. Uh, I agree with you in that, in that I don't want to have every single league this year where I have shares of Kevin White. Like, I, I don't want that no. to be the case because if I'm relying on him every week as my wide receiver three, it could backfire. But you're at the risky part of the of the overall ADP landscape for me. Um, you look at guys like Deshaun Jackson. I mean, he's going to get his. I, I think if anyone loses out with Josh Doxon there, uh, it's probably Pierre Garçon more than Deshaun Jackson. Uh, not a guy I like yes. in full-point PPR leagues, which is probably why he's a little bit lower on this list than he would be otherwise but if you compare Deshaun Jackson to Michael Crabtree I'd I'd rather have Jackson in most cases
3: Uh, I think so I think you have to assume that he's going to be healthy you know he lost a ton of a big part of last season with that hamstring issue Garcon or or Pierre Garkin as my my dad once called him Garkin Garkin uh at, at a fantasy draft you know he no longer plays fantasy football as you could maybe imagine why um, come on that's, it, that's, it wasn't like that incident was like all right that's it you, dad. You, uh, you kicked him out of the league for no, it well i used to kind of run a league at his work more or less run it not really run it but you know i was kind of the spur behind it because you know i wanted to be in it and then you know kind of once i went to went to college and wasn't able to be around for it, it the, the league just collapsed got to bring it back he's not a big football guy he his jersey the only football jersey he owns is one of those like knockoff packers jerseys it's an aj hawk but it's all black Screen printed, like just kind of like a like a general jersey, like never something that the Packers would wear or have ever worn.
1: I would take the black
3: alternate, which doesn't exist, right. over the Navy throwback sometimes, though. I have seen a couple. This ones. one isn't like, like I, you've seen people that, I don't know if people make those custom or what, because they have like the sleeve stripes and everything, and they're like, oh, yeah. like I, I've seen far ones before. This is not like that at all.
1: No, that that was probably like a Champ Sports this is a, special yeah. in the in the late right. 90s, good, early 2000s. This like, is like a
3: Kohl's special.
1: Nice. Yeah. Well, hey, if you get the 40% off, why not? Mm-hmm. Looking at the other receivers here inside the top 100 who might be getting drafted a little bit too high, I'm a little worried about Doriel Green-Beckham. I think he's a talented player. I just don't know if Tennessee is one of those teams that's going to really streamline enough targets through anyone other than Delaney Walker to where you're going to want to rely on Green-Beckham every week. If you're playing in a best ball league where you draft a bunch of players each week, you automatically get the highest scoring players from your lineup as your starters, then okay I like him in that format but I feel like as a third receiver Green Beckham could be one of those players that just drives you crazy every week with your last lineup decision
3: I agree I think you're going to look at him and he still kind of carries that aura of number one overall recruit and you know big time college player and whether that's really true or not it's certainly up for debate but I think you if you're comparing him to yeah, you know, I'm trying to look, you know, like a Tory Smith type of guy or, you know, a Mike Wallace for your third receiver in a week. I think it's tempting to go with Green Beckham, you know, just the physical specimen, the the perceived upside, I guess, that he carries, but he really hasn't done anything on the field to warrant that
1: quite yet. I would agree with that. Uh one other player that you marked off as maybe too high is Laquan Treadwell. And to me it's more about the situation than it is about what Laquan Treadwell might do someday. As an NFL player, I maybe I'm wrong for thinking this, and I'm sure I've already said it once or twice on this podcast since we started up again for this season. I don't see any compelling reason for the Vikings to change the complexion of their offense. I don't think Bridgewater is going to throw it more. I don't think AP is going to run it any less. I mean, that's part of the reason why like Jarek McKinnon to me is just a lottery ticket at best in case AP gets hurt. Uh, so with that, I just don't see a lot of targets to go around for a guy like Treadwell, in part because I think Stefan Diggs is still going to be the number one receiver for the Vikings.
3: Yeah, I agree. I, I don't think Diggs is is going to be pushed out of that post, at least this season, maybe long term. You know, Treadwell, I think, has the profile, at least, of a, of a number one receiver physically. But yeah, like you said, I, I don't see this Minnesota offense, you know, changing to accommodate Laquan Treadwell. I think if, if you prorate everything, you know, on a um you know per throw basis or i don't know how the how the nfl does that you know nba will do like per 100 possessions type of stuff um i think Treadwell's is going to be good i just the volume's just not going to be there you know I, I don't see him being a viable uh you know guy you can depend upon week in and week out and, and he's going 46 among receivers which you know isn't you know atrocious by any means especially for a guy a first round pick a big time college player an nfl ready type of receiver but i wouldn't take him ahead of josh doxton and, and he's going 52
1: yeah, that, that's Dachshund to me has the clear path in an offense that will throw it a lot more. Right. So that, that's where the appeal comes in there. Uh, so looking at some players that are maybe too low. I mean, we talked about Mike Evans, we talked about Elshawn Jeffrey already. Kelvin Benjamin probably fits into this conversation, Absolutely. too. It seems like he's fully recovered from his torn ACL. And if you look at Jordy Nelson and you can take if people can take Jordy Nelson as a top 10 receiver. Right. I can't fully understand why Kelvin Benjamin isn't only a handful of picks behind him because going into last year before he got hurt it looked like benjamin was going to be a target monster in carolina it was going to be benjamin and greg olson and that was it and they haven't really done much to change the receiving core there ted ginn got a lot of targets can get behind safeties but he drops a lot of passes i can see
3: best ball dropper in the nfl
1: he's elite in that regard elite speed elite ball dropper devin funchess probably takes a lot of those Ted Ginn targets, but Kelvin Benjamin, to me, he was targeted 145 times as a rookie, went over 1,000 yards. I think he could see a pretty similar workload coming off the ACL.
3: I don't know if people just aren't really willing to buy in on Carolina or still see last year as somewhat of a fluke. I I don't know. Um, but To me, you just kind of have to assume they're going to keep rolling along. I don't know why they wouldn't. Uh, the division didn't really get any better. They get six games against you know, Tampa, New Orleans, and um, Atlanta. And two, two of those three defenses are you know, maybe among the five worst in football. Um, I think Benjamin, you know, at 22, coming off of an ACL, you, you can kind of understand why people are a little bit skeptical. But if you're able to get him as the 22nd receiver in your draft, like I'm 100% comfortable if he's my wide receiver too.
1: Yeah, I think he can be a wide receiver 2 option. He's a little cheaper even in the N- the MFL drafts, uh, the M mm-hmm. F 10s, the NFL 25s, than he is in the NFFC. Actually, a 20-pick difference right now. So maybe he's priced closer to appropriate based on the fact that he's still sight unseen, but it's amazing how much more willing people are to buy into Jordy Nelson uh, than Kelvin Benjamin coming off the same injury. I realize that the Green Bay passing game, you know, what we saw from Nelson before he got hurt compared to what we saw from Benjamin, there there was a difference there, but they're at the exact same phase in the recovery process based mm. on the timing. Well, you of have their more injuries. of
3: a sample with Jordy Nelson, so I understand that, and you know, arguably a better quarterback situation. Um, arguably, yeah. I, I mean, I mean, Cam Newton, I think, is what the, the number one, the number one quarterback for for most people, and that that's different, obviously, with what he brings as a runner and you know his fantasy value is different than his real life value, especially when we're talking throwing the ball. But if he was able to do all of that with Ted Ginn and Philly Brown last season it's kind of scary to imagine what this carolina offense could turn into with a true number one like benjamin
1: hey some good news for me apparently my rotowire subscription is about to run out so i don't huh. know if i just got fired you have over to give the, him a call yeah I have to you call. Can get a 10-day trial call support see what's going on uh marcus wheaton is a player that is in a much more prominent role this year than he was a year ago. 9.5 yards per target last season, his third NFL season, of course, all of those coming in Pittsburgh. And a player that seemed to come on pretty strong as the season progressed, in part because of the 9-catch, 201-yard game against Seattle in Week 11. Uh, but you look at his overall body of work. He had one TD before that game in Week 11. Uh, he scored four over his final seven games and with no Martavis Bryant we mentioned Ladarius Green stepping up it seems like in PPR leagues especially Wheaton has a very clear path to be the starter opposite Antonio Brown the one player I really like behind Wheaton on the depth chart is Sammy Coates if Sammy Coates is up to speed in the Pittsburgh offense if he has built up that rapport with Ben Roethlisberger I feel like Sammy Coates is the biggest threat to Marcus Wheaton's job but that is a very much a stretch right now until we see Coates start to get some of those looks once the games start to count
3: yeah I think physically you know Coates certainly looks the part but only one catch last season you know it it would be something if he does end up overtaking Wheaton I don't think it would take several weeks you know it would take you know maybe second half of the season is when he finally starts to emerge so I'm totally comfortable uh going with Marcus Wheaton like that that Pittsburgh passing attack should still be you know top five in the league and and you know with Antonio Brown on the other side I think this is kind of the definition of you know so much attention being paid to one guy that, that it frees up uh, you know more clear targets I guess for Marcus Wheaton not an elite talent not an elite speed guy like Martavis Bryant but I think he's a formidable number two for this offense.
1: Yeah Wheaton's one of those players where he's, he's kind of uh, he's kind of like more athletic than you realize like mm-hmm. I think you might off the cuff look at him and say oh he's kind of a ppr darling right, right. he's not he's got the four, four, five, forty speed uh did well like in the shuttle vertical jump cone drill stuff like that so,
3: 17 yards per catch last season
1: yeah pretty pretty impressive that he was able to put that together but prior to the second half of last season he looked like a bust for the steelers yep. i mean a guy that was taken in the third round a few years ago out of oregon state Maybe there is something there with Marcus Wheaton. I like the price on him right now. I'll have a few shares. I'm not going to go nuts and get him everywhere. I don't think he's this year's breakout no, no, no. stud receiver, but I think there's a lot to go around in that Pittsburgh offense, and Wheaton could take advantage of that. Uh, one more situation to talk about. Actually, let's let's make it two because they're kind of similar in that we don't really know what exactly to expect, but there has to be somebody producing on occasion at least in these two offenses uh, san francisco for one tory smith seems like he's underpriced i mean he's always been very talented rarely in situations where he gets high volume you think about tory smith as the number one receiver in a chip kelly offense whether it's blaine gabbert or colin kaepernick he should be more of a target monster than he typically is and the price is so good you look at tory smith his ADP 50. is like 125 overall he's the yeah 50th receiver being taken I, I would don't say care
3: how bad your offense is you you have to take a, a guy like that who's a, a solid number one I think I mean he's going behind Tavon Austin it's Marcus absurd Marcus Wheaton who we just talked about Doriel Green Beckham who might be the third receiver in Tennessee
1: yeah it, it's it's crazy how cheap Tory Smith is right now I know last year was disappointing. Caught 33 balls his first season in San Francisco. Everything possible went wrong with that yeah. team yeah. a year ago. His track record in Baltimore, even without high volume, was very impressive. I think Chip Kelly can maximize uh, Tory Smith's skill set in year one of his tenure in San Francisco. Uh, but the, the Rams receiving core, which you brought up Tavon Austin, Austin's used a variety of different ways. And if you're in a league that rewards return yardage at all, certainly he's on the radar in those situations, but if you're not in a league like that, how much can you bank on his workload from a year ago on the ground? He ran the ball 52 times for 434 yards. How much can you bank on that repeating? Nine TDs when you look at just receiving and rushing scores, had one punt return that he brought back as well. I don't have any interest in him really, but I I look at him as someone that maybe is capable of being used even more this year by the Rams because they didn't do a whole lot to change their pass catchers.
3: I do like Tavon Austin. He's a guy I rostered a couple uh, in a couple of leagues last season and the rushing stats like you said were really what what kind of sold me. I guess you just you just don't get that out of any receiver, really. I mean, he was basically a a running back slash receiver if you want to if you want to categorize it there. I mean, he almost had as many rushing yards as he had receiving yards. You mentioned the return game, which is certainly something you can't depend upon at all. I mean, I I would very much caution against ever drafting someone based on what you think they're going to do as a returner but for a guy in Austin who doesn't have you know a super high target volume isn't gonna you know he might have games where he only catches one or two passes it's nice to have that as just a little bit of a bonus option uh you know if you need it but the other thing is this kind of reminds me of the San Francisco situation somebody has to be the number one receiver and I don't think Tavon Austin in the way that he's used can really be a a true quote-unquote number one but Kenny Britt isn't exactly inspiring. Farrell Cooper, good college player. We'll see how that translates. Uh, obviously, doesn't have any experience at the NFL level, so somebody's going to have to catch passes. I mean, this is going to be a bad LA team, um, but it's also going to be a situation where they're going to they're going to have to throw the ball by default because they are a football team, and that's how football works. And and I'm willing to to chance it, I guess, on Tavon Austin late in a draft. Uh, over some guys who are who are projecting as wide receiver threes
1: i hope that's their tagline this year the la yeah, rams that was a poor way to explain we are a football team
3: that's just how football works <laughs> gotta throw the ball
1: that's the best analysis I mean, are they, are I they gonna be, are they
3: gonna run like the, the navy triple option this year i don't know
1: a- anything they could do to get the ball in tavon austin's hands right. would would make sense gotta
3: feed the ball they have they have no one else in that backfield that comes to mind
1: maybe just maybe I have to go ahead and bump Tavon Austin up in the rankings a little bit, but I have been avoiding him a, early on. Is he a better
3: Ram already than, than Azar Hakeem ever was? I would, would never besmirch
1: Azar Hakim by suggesting that Tavon Austin is a better Ram. I think that's fair. That's a criminal offense in St. Louis. That's fair, man. Respect the greatest show on turf, Nick. <laughs> All right, it's going to wrap things up for this episode of the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast. Jake and Eric are back with you tomorrow.
0: It's Sam Adams. We're constantly improving who we are, what we do, and how we brew. We may craft over 60 styles of beer, but it's Boston Lager that has captured the heart of America since 1984. With its deep amber color, caramel notes, and signature hop character, what better to have in your pint glass? Follow me into the jungle. Sam Adams Boston Lager. Pursue better.